If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In March of 2020, Carlos Vieira, owner and founder of KDD Media Company, wrote a memoir about his own personal struggles entitled Knocking Doors Down. In his book, he relives his experiences as a drug addict and the ultimate path that helped to save his life. 100% of all sales of this book are donated to the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. Go to kddmediacompany.com to pick up a copy for you or a loved one in need of inspiration and motivation. Also available on Amazon in hardcover, paper back and ebook come on come on come on come on now touch me babe <laughs> knocking doors down oh the fabulously tattooed uh mike in iraq what's up good sir what up what up uh, my name is jason lachance and uh coming up ceo christopher opinski uh yes we'll talk with chris he uh, had addiction uh, start for him early in life but turned his life around knocking doors down man it is a really inspirational story great dude family man really admired him and he said uh, the cool thing about meeting him is i i didn't have an aa book anymore hooked me up and so it's cool as we continue to have uh, these going on all these great episodes these great guests it become more and more of a of a self resource for me too, and I can come back and share that. For instance, uh, we've got Tony Hoffman coming up next week. Uh, awesome guy, you got to check him out. TonyHoffmanSpeaks.com. dot com. And uh, I've been reaching out to him on advice, man, and uh, he's just an awesome guy. And so I appreciate because he's been uh, sober a lot longer than I have. And it's cool to make those connections. Both Tony and Chris Hopinski make me feel like I need to work out a lot more. <laughs> Get your ass in shape. I know. Well, hey, we want to do some things that are also uh, resourceful for you guys when we're talking about this. And I posted a link on this in the podcast feed. You can check it out. It's an idea called Halt. And it has to do with really organizing yourself when you're coming out of into your recovery, or even if you're a person, maybe it's trauma and, and it's thrown you off, that there's really difficult things to do. So put up a couple resources. And one of the primary things, and, and I'm trying because uh, I made my, my bed this morning, I brushed my teeth really good, you know, did the flossing, uh, I ate, is uh, sticking to a routine. Yeah. So that's one of the primary things is creating a routine because those of us that tend to uh, have some sort of addiction, we're definitely impulsive. Uh, we make brash decisions in all areas of our lives. It's not a great thing always to, you know, we need to sit. You know, meditation is something I've started doing. So what kind of things for you, Mikey, that just, you know, because you're, you're not like me, you're not a guy in recovery, but that, mm-hmm. that work for you just as a regular individual that you just have to do? Shave. I have to shave every single day. If not, I just feel like blah. Um what do I have to do every single day? Are you a morning or night shower guy? 
I'm a night shower guy. Are you? I am. I, I have to shower before I go to bed. I, I can't. Because you shower in the morning, then you go about your day, and then you get all your daily filth on you. Yeah. But I'm not a two-shower day. That's, I mean, I'm not an animal. You know, I only <laughs> shower once a day. I do sometimes. I See, I I just, I, I don't know. I did because my, my daughter bought her a new bed, so I was putting that together. So at night, yeah, I definitely showered sure. that night. And then mm-hmm. the next morning, I just kind of woke up. I had left the windows open to cool the house. But whatever point, I threw all the blankets on me, and I'm like, oh, I feel gross. So oh, yeah. I had to jump a shower, too. Dude, so. I'm the same way. Night showers all the way. Team night shower. Team night shower. But, uh, you know, you're you're big on uh, exercise, too, though. You eat a pretty healthy diet. I'm getting there, you know, especially about uh, probably about four months before this quarantine started, I was hitting the gym hard. My yeah. sister was my gym buddy. She would push me to go like, hey, I'm going to the gym. Let's go. And I'm just like, all right. And then it came to a halt. Everything closed down. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm not putting on the quarantine 15. I'm going to continue to eat healthy, which I have been. I'm going to continue to work out with what little resources I have at home, but I will make that work. Because you still want to fit in your mini skirt. I want to fit in my <laughs> mini skirt. You know what I'm saying? 2020 bod is still happening uh, even though you know things are starting to open up starting yeah, to open up it's getting there you might be able to witness the mikey 2020 bod who knows <laughs> who knows uh summer bod coming for mikey summer bod coming hey uh so and one of the other things that we put up there in these two links is uh, this idea of halt and it's a uh, hungry angry lonely or tired and these are also just a good resource thing for you maybe read, pass along to someone. Just click the link in the podcast description, whatever app you're listening to. And it really has to do with eating a healthy diet. It's not just eating, but it's it's going, you know, the idea of hunger. And, of course, those of us that are addicts, that tends to be the fuel for everything we do. If it's alcohol, if it's drugs, or whatever else it is. So the idea of even eating, let alone nutritiously, goes by the wayside. So start with halt, eat a healthy diet. Um, also, you know, with the anger, it's a very common side effect to a lot of us, if not all of us. I have yet to meet an addict that wasn't angry about something, and that comes from hurt and fear and everything else. Sure. So, you know, make sure you're doing those things to take care of yourself to keep your anger subsided. Maybe it's making sure just you're eating, getting enough sleep. Uh, talking through issues. So, you know, that could uh, be a part of a group, which goes into the next word in the acronym HALT is lonely. You know, be a part of those groups. There's nothing shameful that any of us are going through that are addicts. You know, the big part of the process and one of the first steps with AA is making your amends. And after you make your amends, make sure you're a part of a group with people that there is no shame because uh, there's no reason to be. We, we all have struggles and everything else. And, uh, you know, find a place that's gracious with connectivity. If it's just therapy or if it's an overall group or both, they work for me. So I highly recommend them. And, of course, that last of, of being tired. And tired isn't just like, oh, shit, Mikey, I only slept five hours. Because I have many nights where I slept five hours. But what makes me tired is when I don't take action in my life. And I let all my shit overwhelm me. Like this last weekend, it was like, screw it. I've got all this pack rat type stuff. I In my room, I had boxes of stuff that has sat there for two freaking years in this nice house and all this stuff that I put all this work into. And it's like, what what is wrong with me? Why am I letting this sit here? And does any of this matter? Because it's like a box, uh, I think I wrote eBay on it or something. Like if I wasn't going to do it two years ago, what makes me think I'm going to do it now? Put it in the dumpster, bring it down here, throw it out. I was going to say, is it stuff you'll miss? No. Because just get rid I, of it. Just toss it. Because obviously I didn't miss it because it sat in a 
box for two years. We need to just get rid of it. Put it in my trunk. <laughs> I am not a hoarder. I'm not a pack rat. If I haven't worn something in a month, I'm going to toss it and get something else in. But, uh, yeah, I want to inject something that hopefully would be a little bit helpful to you or someone else. Pass this episode along to them. It's easy to share when you're in the apps. Just click on the little link and share. You can text it. But this idea of halt, I think it's really a, a very important one. Never get too hungry. Uh, curb your anger. Find out why your anger. Be in touch with your anger. There's nothing wrong with being in touch with your anger. It's an emotional response that is a tool. Uh, figure out what it's about. Uh, don't be lonely. Join those groups. Have people to talk to that you can trust because trust is such a huge part of getting back into sobriety because we go from a thing where uh, we're with fellow users quite often mm-hmm. and then we go into isolation and it's all a part of just a huge thing of distrust and let alone trusting ourselves. Well, and you have Zoom too. Yeah. So even though we are going through this you know, pandemic with the quarantine, you could still Zoom and have meetings that way. Yep. Yep. So that that curb that loneliness because it creeps in for all of us addicts. It can be really, really amplified. That's when we get that bored or anxiety feeling and we turn to it as well as the last letter T, tired. Get the damn sleep. Focus on it. Create a pattern for yourself. So, all right. Check that out. Well, we got CEO Christopher Opinski. And uh, we want to remind you guys right now, of course, uh, uh, benefiting the Carlos Vieira Foundation. If you are a fan of the 5150 Energy Drink, they are doing where you can get the shipping on it by uh, clicking over at carlosvierafoundation.org. You can get the uh, drink shipped to you, or they're now doing it at the 5150 store. We are, of course, broadcasting the recording out of Livingston, California. Um, so if you're in the Central Valley of California and you uh, want to pick some up, they are doing curbside pickups that can be scheduled. So make sure that you're going to Carlos Vieira foundation.org for more details 5150 is a lifestyle we believe in pushing yourself finding your passion knowing your dreams and working hard always striving to make those dreams a reality we believe life's too short to sit back and say what if go after it grab it and make it happen being 5150 is committing to that long hard road ahead that you know is going to be tough but the most rewarding That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. Listeners of Knocking Doors Down, head over to 5150ltm.com. That website again, 51FIFTYLTM.com. All right, I guess, uh, as promised, Chris Opinski here on Knocking Doors Down. Thanks for joining us, brother. We appreciate your time. No problem, no problem. Uh, So we're going to get into... uh, to how it all kind of started for you. Um, my understanding, Chris, is, you know, really no family background of, uh, of a history of, of addiction. Am I kind of correct on that? Yeah, you're correct on that. So when then kind of uh, for you to take us in through, through childhood, we have kind of a, I think, a similar background of parents that kind of came from the baby boomer generation out working hard, building a business. Uh, my dad, it was uh, truck driving and own a, a aggregate yard and stuff like that. But, you know, both of my parents were, were busy folks. Was it kind of a situation of, uh, as Mikey put it, you were kind of a daring kid from, from the beginning. Crazy bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so was it, when was the situation, you know? I mean, what was really Chris-like like childhood that came up to the first point, as you let us know that it was about 12 years old when you first started experimenting with, with uh, drugs and alcohol? Well, for me... Um getting into drugs and alcohol it just when you're in the beginning stages of it or at least for me anyway it was really fun and i looked up to people that were into that sort of stuff sure um i worked construction i've worked construction most of my life and 
you got to work hard. You, you know, you sweat, you're tired, this and that. And uh, when guys started pulling, you know, bags out and things like that, to me, it was normal. Sure. Almost, you know what I mean? I never, um, I didn't really think much of it, right. if, that, if that makes sense. So I it, didn't. It does. Uh, I guess I didn't really realize what I was getting into, you know, at that young age. Anyway, you're kind of. Um, so the first time you saw it, you were 12 or 11? The first time you witnessed somebody with the bag. Oh, yeah, 12, 13 years old. Shit. However old you are, you know, 6th, 7th grade, something like that. So. Yeah, right. No, I can. I, I understand that totally. Like I said, you know, my dad had a lot of people that worked for him, and it's common on Fridays that beers were being broken out. And, of course, the trucking industry, and it's it's ironic. I think Brandon Novak pointed this out of, of uh, well, I didn't touch any hardcore drugs. What, what fucking alcohol isn't hardcore? Oh, it's hardcore. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hardcore, especially for those of us that are addicts. But I definitely saw that behavior going on, and so it, to me it seemed it was a total norm. Mm-hmm. It's so kind of the same scenario. Yeah, no, totally. It was just just what the guys did. When you're at work, this is what you do, and you're going to do it. You're going to work hard, and then you're going to go home and come to work the next day and do it all over again. So, Right. Yeah, I was just – yeah, it, it became normal to be around that sort of stuff, and so I didn't, I didn't really think much of it until I got a little older, and then I think I realized what I was doing, yeah. and, like, that is bad, obviously, and, you know, so yeah. – yeah, our brains, you know, haven't even gotten close to full development at that point where we know the dif- differentiate properly the, between right and wrong, not just right and wrong in society, but right and wrong for ourselves, mm-hmm. where we start to contemplate the things that we're doing is this even healthy for us. Right. You know? So uh, what was the actual first experience? How did it come about when, when you first, you know, was it the first sip of beer? Was it the first snort of something? Do you have a recollection of that? Um. I mean, my first first time drinking, I just remember everything being fun, and everything right. was funny, and it, it was just a blast. It was yeah. it was just so much fun. I was with my cousins, I think. Um, won't name them, but at any rate, <laughs> no, we were uh, we were just hanging out. We had stole some beers, and we were drinking beers, and somebody's cracking jokes, and they were hilarious. And then you know what I mean? It was just it was just really fun, and I wanted to repeat that every single day yeah just having a good time well that's it and i think it's it goes back to a uh you know talking about that uh, extreme mentality uh you know i know for me it was the same kind of a hook as as gosh aren't we having fun you know some Mm -hmm. some wild stuff occurred you know be it uh just a fun night of of stupid jokes with the guys or hooking up with chicks or whatever it was Mm -hmm. or the person that you're with and you know some of the things get a little bit more wild than usual as we get a little inebriated and uh you know those uh those filters come down it's like oh man i can't believe we did that till five in the morning and you know (laughs) so yeah, it it it's the idea that hey, the party's rolling and it's a good time. Mm-hmm. So, well, like we were saying beforehand, though, it's like I've known Chris. How far do we go back, Chris? It's been a long time. River rats, water polo, all that. I've always yeah. known who you were in your family and all that stuff. And I remember you just being just very 
you were the crazy fucker. You know what I mean? Like you were the one. Like I said earlier, you know, we'd smoke a cigarette, you would smoke thirty. We would get a buzz, you would get fucking hammered. You know what I mean? Like that's just how it always was. I think the first time I ever smoked weed was with you. I'm yeah. Yeah. See, mom, it's it's Chris's fault. (laughs) Sorry, Miss Naraki. But yeah, no, you've always just you know even with before the drugs or alcohol, like just little Chris running around playing water polo, which was a fucking stud at it too. But it's like you've always just been outgoing and just fucking balls to the wall with everything right i mean kind of but be, i'm trying to explain this um so believe it or not i always was shy i was i always like doubted myself so i felt yes. like I had, I had to prove something to people to gain i wanted people to like me sure i wanted to fit in i wanted to be a cool kid i wanted to do what was ever going to make me be accepted by others right and um when you add drugs and alcohol to that, like I had no control over it from a very early age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, could, I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know how to behave when I was drinking. You know what I mean? It just made no sense to me to go out and, oh, I'm going to have a beer. Well, why? I'm going to go have 12, 10. I'm going to do all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I just never, there was never a filter on that sort of stuff and I couldn't control it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a mess. Very early on, it was a mess. Um, why I did it as long as I did I don't know, but I, you know, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict. I could not stop on my own. So, right. Yeah. We had a, uh, some conversations with some upcoming podcasts that we'll share and, and uh, gentlemen, he kind of came from a similar kind of mentality. And I think I can really relate to you is that I did certain things out of, out of approval. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here I was like, it was like, mm, I think I was just out of sixth grade and I was maybe five, eight and I'm dunking a basketball and all of a sudden people started to notice that. And it's like, you know, all right, I'm going to do more of that shit. Uh, you know, and, it, and when you find those things that give that same kind of approval, I, um, I know for me it was, uh, you know, dad was always busy. Dad wasn't at the games. Uh, mom did everything she could. Um, but also worked hard. And so it was, there was like that gap of approval and acknowledgement that was so missing for me. Mm-hmm. And so when I started to find it, you know, which for me, I didn't probably start my road in chemical dependency with alcohol until this is about 22, 23. Okay. So mine was a little bit later, but I definitely found it through, through uh, women. Mm-hmm. I definitely found it through that validation there that there's, you know, something worthwhile. Do you think there's any weight in that for you as far as, you know, maybe there was something missing as far as the validation? Uh, I hate to, you know, just like mom or dad's approval or family approval or, you know, they were so, so busy that, you know. Um, for me with my parents, it wasn't, I mean, like I said earlier, I got into drugs and alcohol pretty young, so I kind of pushed them away, okay. if that makes sense, because yeah. I knew what I was doing was wrong, so I didn't want them to see it. Yeah. I didn't want them to be around. They were around. They came to games. They came to sporting stuff. My mm-hmm. mom would bring breakfast ice and all and that. For yeah, all those, she was yeah. pretty involved in our stuff. And my dad would come to games and stuff like that. I don't think, for me anyway, it wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, I wish my parents did this for me or anything like that. I really don't, looking back on it now, I really don't think that I was like that. For me, it was like a comfort thing. Sure. Um, especially early on in my drinking and my drug use, it was a comfort thing. I was so uncomfortable just being me just doing regular everyday stuff was really hard for me i just oh my god what are people going to think this and that yeah. you know and it for whatever reason that had like a major effect on me as far as if i just had a couple beers before i went to school i'll be fine 
Right. If I can make it to lunch, I'll be fine. And so I would use drugs every day to get through school. And then after school, it was game time because I didn't have to worry about making it to next class or anything yeah. like that. So it was for me, it was just everyday stuff. Um, yeah, I was a really insecure person. I just, I wasn't confident. I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. So I didn't, I just felt like I had something to prove and I didn't want, I felt like alcohol and drugs helped me feel a part of something like, hey, I'm a part of this because I'm hanging out with these guys and this is what they do and this is what I do, so I'm good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Yeah, that connectivity <laughs> that we that we all crave and um, I, I don't know if you're in any programs, AANA, but mm -hmm. it's kind of what we end up getting there right. of a common crowd <laughs> that's been where we've been, right. people that trump our story any day with the shit that they've gone oh, through. Yeah. And it's kind of what we've we've looked for ironically all along is that ex being accepted right. for exactly who we are and to also uh, have other people acknowledge, hey, I'm not perfectly okay every day either, and mm -hmm. that's all right. Exactly. And exactly. That's a, so I know that uh, So we're going through kind of the high school period. When did things continue to go downhill? What other kind of activities and people did you start to surround yourself with that uh, really led to, you know, some of the negative downfall? Um, for me, I just started, I hung out with people that did the exact same things as me, Yeah. which, you know, you're drinking, you're drugging, you're robbing, stealing, you're lying, cheating. I, I surrounded myself with people like that so that I would feel better about myself. Right. I had ruined every... Anybody who was close to me, I'd push them away. Any relationship I was in, you know, fell to the wayside because drugs and alcohol were more important at the end of the day. And if I'm dating somebody or I was with somebody that didn't like my drugs and alcohol use, well, I'd try to hide it as best I could, but it would always come up. It would be an issue. Yeah. My behavior in a relationship would be an issue. So, okay, on to the next one. It would. So I started dating people that were alcoholics or were drug addicts so that I'm not going to get bitched at for using and drinking. You know what right. I mean? It so makes I would, it easier for you. Oh, totally. Yeah, because yeah, totally. we all, within a context of relationship, want that person we could turn to with acceptance and everything else. Sadly, the common bond being using. Right, right. So, no, that, um, trying to think. No, for me, I mean, I started drinking young, but I also got sober pretty young. I got sober at 24 years old, so I feel... I did do a lot of damage. I did do a lot of bullshit out there, but um, I was able to. I'm very happy where I am today, yeah. you know, and I'm happy with the people that are in my life today and are working with me today because I feel I'd never thought that this would be possible. Right. Especially for the stuff I was doing. Like towards the end, I never. I drank by myself all day. I'd be at the liquor store before six o'clock. The guy would hand me the keys. He'd let me open it. I'd grab my stuff and I'd go drink until I pass out. I'd drive back into town, I'd, I'd get some more stuff, yeah. whether it be a bag or, or booze, whatever the case may be, and I'd do that again all day, every day. And if I didn't have money, I'd go I'd go get some stuff to sell to get my booze, you know what I mean? It was just very, everything that alcohol and drugs that I thought it did for me in the beginning as far as bringing me around people, making me comfortable, it had the complete opposite effect. And towards the last couple of years of my drinking, I was by myself. Yeah. Yeah, because we end up feeling so much guilt, shame, uh, don't know how to reach out, don't know how to connect on a sober level to say that I need help. And and we do go oh, into exactly. that total point of isolation. Of exactly, too, but I, I didn't trust myself, so I sure as hell didn't trust nobody else. So I didn't yeah. want to be around anybody, and I didn't 
trust people that wanted to be around me either. Right. Even, even early on in sobriety, being around people and people would say, oh, no, I want the best for you. But you don't fucking know them. You don't believe them. You yeah. know what I mean? It took me a while to be okay with doing good. Yeah. That might sound kind of nuts. But no. It, it, uh, yeah, you know, I got, got sober and I started doing the meetings, did the 90 and 90, which I thought was crucial. I thought it was huge. Yeah. Um, and I just slowly started to, with the help of other people of AA, kind of piece my life back together and piece myself back together. And now yeah. I live, I think I live a pretty good life. You know what I mean? It's yeah. So well, you've, been, you've been out of treatment facilities a couple times, right? Like in and out a few times and all that good stuff. I have. Which that came post because you did serve in the military. I want to jump there before we get to the treatment centers if we could because, yeah, yeah, yeah. No you worries. know, when, when we were talking prior to recording, you know, it really surprised me that you went through military service because I, I just, I'm always amazed by people that uh, I was never a high functioner. I was a, a everything hurts at night. This is the way that I will sleep because my emotional state turned into a physical pain. Mm -hmm. And the only way to, you know, get those two pains away was to knock myself out. Right. Which I got tougher and tougher at because <laughs> then there was days where it's like, ah, I've had an 18 pack. I'm up and it's eight o'clock in the morning. I haven't slept in a day and a half, which normally you think of, of uppers, not downers, but not in my case. Uh, so let's talk about the military experience for you uh, going through that. And how did you manage? Were, were, were you able to stay clean the whole time that you were in the service? No, absolutely not. Um, boot camps, I think, three months, four months long. So I did. I made it through that without, you know, drinking or using. But once you're out of there, it's kind of, my like I said, alcohol. If you're not that guy, if you're not, like, doing crazy stuff all the time, it's kind of okay to be drunk all the time or it's, you know what i mean yeah. you do it after work not necessarily during the day and I, I found ways and means to hide it yeah for the most part so did uh when you entered uh boot camp were you had you already gone through any sort of withdrawal process or oh did yeah it oh okay oh yeah no i would if i didn't drink every two to three hours i'd shake like a leaf and just start sweating and Shit. i was hurting how long before you entered boot camp then did you wean off of stuff or was it kind of through the process of <laughs> no, boot camp? it was uh it was definitely through the process of boot camp man i remember oh, waking shit. up uh my first day there or whatever you know our first night and i was just like what am i where am i at you know what i mean i was just so confused because i i was drunk 24 7 every day it's all that's all i did yeah and then so i kind of woke up in boot camp and then from there it was Oh shit! You're stuck here. You ain't going nowhere. So. <laughs> uh, so they got me. How long did you end up serving? And were there any uh, relapses? Not only, of course, of alcohol, but uh, any uh, other drugs during your service time? Uh, mostly alcohol during my service time, but um, no, I only did four years. Four years I was done. Yeah. Yeah, and no combat action was. I went to Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Shit. Uh, did that have any lasting effect to the experiences that you had there when you came back afterwards that things that you saw and experiences that um, maybe kept the addiction going coming back from Afghanistan was definitely tough um, and it was a big adjustment but I chose alcohol to deal with that stuff right. you know what I mean I didn't seek I didn't actively see, seek help in any other avenue I thought I was going to I was going to figure it out because, you right. know, I'm so smart and all this other stuff. But <laughs> no, I, I mean, alcohol and drugs were my go-to for everything. If mm -hmm. life was good, alcohol and drugs. If life was bad, alcohol and drugs. 
if I'm going through something, alcohol and drugs. If I'm not, alcohol and drugs. You know what I mean? So that's that's how I chose to, to deal with stuff. And it wasn't until I got sober and had some time under my belt that I was actually able to go back and deal with that stuff Sure. sober. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't – I couldn't deal with anything. Yeah. Yeah, when we I just don't do have anything. those coping mechanisms at all. So, Mikey, you were asking about his treatment process. So, when you finally decided to get sober, what what made you decide to say, "Fuck it, I'm absolutely, I'm done with it, no more"? To where you are now, like, what was the last straw to where? Okay, this time it's going to work. This time I'm going to stay sober. There's no going back. Okay, so this time, this time I had, I'm trying to remember my last drink because mm. that has. So I was on Xanax, the Oxycontin stuff. What's that? Ambien, that sleep stuff. Oh, oh yeah, that shit's yeah. the worst. I was on that, mm-hmm. uh, meth, and then alcohol. I remember it was either a, I think it was a Wednesday, and I woke up like every other day, started my stuff, and I came to on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So from Wednesday to Saturday is... Fucking blur. It's not... It's not there. You right. know what I mean? So oh, I woke man. up on a Saturday at my parents' house, and I'm just like, oh, my God, what happened? You know, I'm, I'm, I look at my phone, and there's a bunch of chicks I shouldn't be calling, and I'm calling them, so I'm thinking, oh, my God, what did I do? And uh, I think my mom came in my room and told me, oh, my mom and dad, excuse me, and they were like, hey, you got basically got to get the fuck out or you got to go to treatment like we can't we don't want to watch you do this anymore like we're done yeah we're done and so i told him i'd think about it and i'll be right back Mm -hmm. so i went and drove around for a little bit and i really didn't think i could stop you know what i mean because like i said earlier if i didn't drink or use for two to three hours then i'm going through withdrawals and Mm -hmm. they suck they Mm -hmm. hurt it's it's horrible it's a very painful process. It's, it's horrible, man. So I came back home, and I said, okay, let's do it. And they're like, all right, let's go. Pack your shit. So I threw some shorts in a in shirts or whatever in a bag and went to to treatment. But even in, even in treatment, it took me a while to think that I would get it or that it would last because this wasn't my first time trying to get clean. Right. You know, I've... I've I started using very young and started hearing about AA stuff at 16 because mm-hmm. I was in trouble and I had to go to meetings. Right. You know, so it's not, I didn't think I had the capability to get sober right. or at least nothing that would last. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I just didn't, I didn't think it was for me right. at all. But before, I'd say probably the last year, year and a half of my drinking and using, I would die literally every night in my dreams. Every night, mm-hmm. I hated sure. sleeping. I, I, I was just a mess. So like, I was scared to go to bed because of the shape I was in. I didn't know if I'd wake up or re- I didn't even care. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If I would just fucking die in my sleep, oh well, whatever. I'm done. I'm not gonna have these insane nightmares anymore or, or feel this way anymore. I'll be done. Mm-hmm. So I was dying every single night in my dreams, and I remember it was probably my second not maybe two weeks into rehab because i was still having those crazy ass dreams that night i went to sleep and i was i remember falling i remember it very vividly and i'm falling i'm like okay it's another one of those dreams i'm gonna i'm gonna die again 
and I remember just hands just kind of snagging me up like that and that that was it and that kind of gave me a little hope wow and that kind of uh it really opened my eyes to the idea of being sober and staying sober and living a a sober lifestyle Mm -hmm. wow but it uh yeah it was scary man it was really dark dark few years for your boy man yeah no i i remember like i would see you and then i wouldn't and then i would see you again skinny as a damn rail yeah you know what i mean and it was just i mean we knew not we i knew i'm sure everybody you you could say we man everybody (laughs) we knew that's like i remember seeing you a couple times and it's like fuck like he looked like absolute hell you know what i mean like you just you didn't look well and you know it sucked to see you know a good friend of yours going down that path but i mean right i'm young too i don't know what to do i don't know how to you know if i were to sit you down and talk to you about it would you listen you know probably not exactly so it's just it was crazy to see such a transformation and to see you now you know looking yoked (laughs) yoked family man Mm -hmm. great job doing all that man like i'm sure i could speak on behalf of all the homies and all that that you look great man and we're proud of you trying man one day at a time that's that's all we can do one second one minute one hour one day one week one month one you know one year and one rest of the lifetime right yep that's right so what's going on uh, now Uh, mike you mentioned of course uh, a family man which i think is so important to uh to share with everyone because the reality is that uh you a person who figured this is this is uh and I've referred back to this a few times. This is stuck in my head, and I always forget what Metallica song it is. I want to say it's Frantic off of St. Anger, where he says, my lifestyle determines my death style. Mm-hmm. And I was, I think I was determined that, okay, I'll keep going, but I, you know, uh, my connection with alcohol in my own brain, not how everyone else saw me, was such a huge connection for who I am personality-wise. But uh, you're coming up on eight years sober? Yeah, I'll have eight years uh, November 10th. That's awesome. So what That's are we awesome. doing now, uh, professional-wise, home-life-wise, uh, you know, because you've uh, the true definition of, of what knocking doors down is, and uh, you're doing it. You've got a very solid, purposeful life. I think so. I definitely feel, uh, you know, there's uh, my higher power's got plans for me, so yeah. my life's good. I really can't, can't complain. I'm working. My wife's working. We've got three beautiful kids, so... And everybody's yeah. healthy. I, I really can't complain. Now, now, through your sobriety, have you at any point uh, become a sponsor for anyone or just a mentor where maybe people, not necessarily a constant sponsor, but reach out and maybe, hey, Chris, man, I no, know you've gone through this. and No, definitely. Um, so I, I'm i working with a couple different guys right now. Um, hadn't worked with anybody in a couple of years, actually, so it's been really good to kind of get back into the swing of things you know what i mean and remember where i was at when i was in his shoes and to, to watch him progress and watch watch others progress through this thing is really kind of a gift in, in of itself you know what i mean I, I do like working with people and i enjoy hearing what other people went through and what they're getting through to maintain their sobriety and keep on moving forward so yeah awesome if there's anything that if you had the opportunity to go back um, talk to your younger self. Is there any words that you think or, or that, that could have broken through 
to you then? Or do you think it all kind of happened in the manner that it was supposed to? I don't know if younger me would believe this me. You know what I mean? Right. If, I w if I was to go back and say, hey, if you do this, 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 and this, all this stuff is going to happen, I wouldn't have believed you. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I don't know what I would say to that younger me. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, uh, th that was presented to me, and I often wondered, too, is there anything that in the midst of all of it and all the hurt that if I could have went and said, uh, you know what, someday you're going to take this uh, radio career you've done for 20 years and you're going to transform it into something else. You're going to have an amazing opportunity from someone that believes in you. Not only so much, they've written a book, and that book is knocking doors down. Right. You're going to do a podcast of the same name, and you're going to start connecting with people locally and all over and celebrities that have been through this shit worse than you. I don't know. What, what? No, I'm a, no yeah. man. I'm, the party's yeah. on. Well, I don't... Uh... I never had a vision like this of myself, like that I'd be sitting here sober, and I just did not think that was in the cards for me at mm. all. Yeah. At all. Well, and I, you know, I don't know how many times I've referred back to this, Mikey, but the Brandon Novak episode, which I encourage everyone to go back and listen to in the archives, uh, Lessons Learned Backwards, Life Lived Forward. Yeah. And yeah. with that, I've been uh, listening for the third time the audio book, Unfuck Yourself, which I recommend to everybody. Um, you know, I think I'm going to start a, a, a page somewhere, rather on our website or something, of books that I've been reaching out where he says, you know, we, uh, we take our lessons from the past of looking for these, uh, these things of certainty because the past is solid. It is certain. And it's one of the unfortunate things that alcoholics do is we go, we know for certain this will get me high, drunk, this or that. Right. Uh, and, and then the, the reality of the future that it's undeterminable happens mm -hmm. and we get all these different results and i think one of the important things that i've started to embrace is i don't know what the next 10 minutes i don't know once you chris and i stop talking uh what's going to happen and that's kind of cool and i don't need to be numb to whatever comes right mm -hmm. and i right. kind of dig it now you know i dig it i enjoy it it's good it's mm -hmm. okay um you know so what are some of the other things that maybe you learned about yourself too during this time that um that you didn't expect, uh, you know, uh, that, that came about as you're starting your senses come back, your personality, you know, hobbies, things that, that Chris has learned about Chris that you enjoy doing and enjoying, you know, yourself. Because when we're in our de depths, we do not enjoy ourselves at all no. at any level. No, no, no. Um, one thing I like is uh, like, like just being present when I'm with, you know, family and friends and that sort of stuff because – Prior to getting sober, I, I might have been at a function with people or this, but I'm not. I'm not there. I'm I'm done. You know. So yeah. being there and and just talking to people, just enjoying people's company is is I, I like I said I like it. You know, it's yeah. it's a little gift of sobriety. I love being a dad. I love I love having a wife. It's every. I mean, sobriety. Getting sober doesn't mean that everything's going to be. That life's going to turn into a cakewalk or something. Um, I still have, I, I would say I have way more on my plate hands down today than I did 10 years ago, eight years ago. There's no question about it. However, I handle things differently. Yeah. hundred percent, you know, so just the tools, the basic everyday tools that I've learned through, through the program and through sobriety and through friends and family gives me the life I live today. Um, 
I'm surrounded by people that enjoy being around me. They're not around me because I got the bag or I got the booze. Right. And I'm not around people because they got something I want, you right. know. So there's like a genuine connection um, that I feel I have with people today that I didn't have while I was drinking and drugging. So that's another blessing of sobriety and of this lifestyle. So Yeah. Well, Chris, thanks, man, for coming in and joining us on Knocking Doors Down, see, being so transparent and uh, helping us with our mission. If we can help just one person, it's all worth it. So we really appreciate your time. No, appreciate it for having me. Thank you, guys. CEO. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Knocking Doors Down. Real people, real stories, real life. Real discussions of life struggles, including addiction, relationships, finances, and more. But even more importantly, living with them, overcoming them, and conquering them. Celebrities, experts, and everyday people talk about how they were able to break through whatever life handed them by knocking doors down. New podcast episodes are available every Thursday. Subscribe now on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, or at kddmediacompany.com. Man, what a good guy. Solid dude. Solid dude. I, I want to hang out with him more. I, 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 I dig people with that vibe that have done it. I, I don't know about you, uh, Mikey. I kind of think, and I don't mean to sound arrogant, I'm a little bit of an empath. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I'm around people, I absorb emotions. I found this with a lot of other addicts because we uh, can be chameleons, mm -hmm. as, as was put. And you'll hear about that more in our talk with Tony Hoffman next week. But, uh, you know, we kind of fit into people's molds and stuff like that. And I found I'm just so responsive to certain people's emotions. So those that have long-term recovery, for me, it's just, it's um, almost like a frenetic energy to be around them because it's like, shit, they did it. And they're telling me I can do it. I can do it too. It's mm -hmm. when I get around negative people, it's just like, I've... I've had people that have just been calling me, you know, I, I went through some stuff, self-inflicted, of course, went to, you know, break up. I just didn't feel I was far enough into my recovery to really be in a good place to have a relationship and had friends reaching out. But then some of them are just like so constantly negative. Mm -hmm. It's just like, ah, oh, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah, no, Chris is anything but negative. I've known him for a very long time and every time I'm around him, you know, it's always positive, uplifting. He's yeah. good people. His family as well, like just great people. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about our calendar for you guys. We've got some great uh, interviews coming up with, uh, of course, Tony Hoffman next week. This cat, look, you want to check this guy out, uh, TonyHoffmanSpeaks.com. Tony is just a phenomenal individual. I recommend following him on social media. The The man is uh, beyond transparent, uh, beyond, there's no way the man lives in a hypocritical nature. He's doing just amazing work. He even has his own podcast that, uh, that I listen to that's phenomenal. And then uh, after that, we'll have uh, Mr. Carlos Vieira coming in. Carlos. So Carlos. we're going to pull another chapter out of his book, Knocking Doors Down, which you can get now by going to kddmediacompany.com or on Amazon by searching Knocking Doors Down in the books. You can get the hardback, the paperback, the uh, ebook, all there. My favorite chapter, Racing, How It Saved His Life. And uh, the cool thing about the conversation, we're going to get a little bit more into areas that are not written out in the book. Mm -hmm. So we really deep dive with him and... Uh, He's going to open up a lot about that. And his lovely wife, Asia, is going to join us, too. And so it's cool to hear how she came into his life when a lot of that was starting. Mm -hmm. And uh, just the, the importance of support, 
you know they're they're such an awesome couple to they hang really out are. with. And Asia has a great radio voice. I know she She's should got be the a great radio voice. She should really be the 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 third co-host here on this. She really should. Maybe you guys can help us talk her into. Yeah, it. but uh, hey guys, we thank you for listening. Of course, don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. We are on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify. We're on Stitcher. Uh, we are all over the place when it comes to uh, places to get us. You can download even the Podbean app, which is a, a feed for ours. And that one, you can actually interact with us a little more directly, even leave us voicemails. So uh, whatever it is, just, hey, you know, subscribe, tell a friend, leave us a good five-star review, a rating. We appreciate it, guys, and uh, keep knocking doors down. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knockin' Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.